Welcome to the Discipleship Helps Podcast. This podcast is designed to accompany you as you work through the book, Discipleship Helps. This book guides us through foundational doctrine every disciple should know. From time to time, you'll be able to pause and write your answers to the questions in the workbook. We encourage you to read each scripture and cover this journey in prayer. So without further ado, let's begin. We hope you enjoy. Check, 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 check. Cool. All right. We're here. You made it. You are not intimidated or defeated by the homework. Oh, come on. You're like, oh, homework. I knew I forgot something. No, those people didn't come. No, we pushed it pretty hard last week, didn't we? Yeah. It is the ever narrowing way. All right, let's pray. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Father. Lord, we just give you praise tonight. Man, just thank him. Just thank the Lord. Just thank him for all his goodness. Just thank him for his faithfulness. We just come into your courts with praise, God. We just give you praise. You are the ruler of the universe, Lord. We just thank you, Father. Just thank you, Lord, for the way that you love us, for the way that you guide us. You are building us and growing us and maturing us, Father. You're uniting us with one heart, one mind, Father, one spirit. God, we just ask that tonight, uh, Lord, your spirit would move in power in this place, God. Lord, that uh, our agendas would be lifted up to you and, and you would have free reign to do whatever you want to do tonight. Lord, we just thank you. And uh, God, we just, uh, we just turn over full control of our lives to you. Uh, let's just hold our hands open to him, just uh, signifying that we're just open to him tonight to do whatever he wants to do, to teach us, to change us, to move us. Lord, we just, uh, you're our only comfort, you're our only provision, you're our protector. And God, we just love you so much. Lord, it doesn't feel like you're conquering us, it feels like we are voluntarily serving you and loving you and growing through you and in you, God. So, Lord, we just say thank you. Thank you for being such a good father. Lord, for being such a good bridegroom. Lord, we just give you praise tonight. We just pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Did you have something you would like to share, please? I don't know what I want to say, but that's why I called you earlier. All right. You know. All right. Love you. All right, so just a, just a minute of like spiritual intel for you guys. Because I think it's really important that, you know, as we're in this town and we see stuff going on, that we let people know, right? 100%. So there's, there is a, a homeless veteran that's in town, mm-hmm. and you may have seen him around um, with Garrett. Garrett actually went to the ER with pneumonia yesterday, so he's not here tonight. But he and I were praying, talking together. And so I saw this gentleman today and actually met him. And 10 years ago, I had the privilege of actually buying him a bicycle and having him take a shower in my home. So I know him, and I saw him. He hangs out near Exchange and Congress, if you see him down there by the train station. Oh, yeah. And he lives between Cary and Crystal Lake. 
back over there by the hollows, but down in the hollows because the rangers and stuff like that. So I just interviewed him, and he knows of all the veteran uh, resources that are out there, okay? And he also knows, you know, of, so he knows the resources. He, anyway, the bottom line is he doesn't want discipline, and he doesn't really want anything to do with God. I invited him here. He just wants a few resources so he can go back in the woods where he's camping and look at videos. So just, just mm. you know, spiritual intel for everybody to know that. Yeah. You know, you can do whatever God leads you to do, but just so you know that, so you're not, um, you know, like when I was talking to Garrett today, it's like we don't want to sow bad seed, right? All the seed that we want to have, we want to have good seed for yeah. whatever God's calling us to do. Yeah, that's good. Okay? And then if you guys open your Bibles. What's his name? His name is uh, Will. Will. Yeah, he's probably in his like mid forties. He looks a lot older. He's got a beard. He was doing rocking the trench coat and the hat and, and his sunglasses. So he's like a, like almost like a Mount Rushmore. Like I don't know if any ladies would ever want to approach him because he's kind of intimidating. But as soon as I walked up to him, I said, "Hey, Will, what's going on?" And you know, whatever. So it's, it, that stuff is important, though. Would you yeah. agree? Yeah. Intelligence. Um, uh, we're opening to. Uh, where are we opening to? If I could see. No, we're opening to Luke 10. Luke 10, verses 38 to 42. And uh, the whole family is out. Shane went to the hospital today to check for problems with breathing. So, so they've ruled out anything major, but... Well, Pray for him. That's probably because in home, house group last night he played the guitar for like two hours and had stopped because things were going so well. And he brought the word last night. He brought a word that is kind of like this word. This is shame. shame. It was off the charts last night. Everybody that was there got ministered to by Jesus. So let's read these verses. As Jesus and his disciples were on their way, he came to a village where a woman named Martha opened her home to him. She had a sister called Mary who sat at Jesus, the Lord's feet, listening to what he said. But Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. She came to him and asked, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do the work by myself? Tell her to help me. Martha, Martha, the Lord answered, you are worried and upset about many things, but only one thing is needed. Mary has chosen what is better and it will not be taken away from her. And so God has had me like camping out here for the life of the last week, week and a half, just like you know, being at the feet of Jesus, being at the feet of Jesus, this is where we see what the opportunities are, and I don't mean like parking off, but the active thing, like going out today and seeing Will, and you know, I drive full time with Uber and Lyft, and I've had all kinds of opportunities to bring the love of Jesus right in my car, and, and you know, see people's lives who are just in shambles, you know, be able to make a difference and a change, so I just share that with you to say that you know, even us here, you know, as we're in this group together, even tonight, you know, if there's afterwards, if there's something that you need, you know, this is the, like the family time now. Yeah. People are going to come to church on Sunday. Will's not going to come to church, probably, maybe he will, but whoever does come to church is coming here for a reason, so that if we could be in a place where we could be prepared to look out of ourselves and see what other people need and just meet those needs, whatever they are, you know? 
keep our eyes and ears open to what's going on around us so that we can be used by God to make a difference when the people do come here or wherever you're at outside the church. Amen. Amen. How many of y'all been blessed by Mike and Marcia? Is a good this is a good challenge from a father in this church. Yeah. yeah. And, and you had mentioned that two weeks ago. You're like, hey, have the courage. And yeah. I'm like, that's why I called you earlier, because I was like, I'm gonna check it out and listen. No, this is good. This is good. This is good. Thank you so much for sharing. Good exhortation. Love you, Mike. Thank you. <laughs> All right, y'all ready for this? So, Nick, I also I apologize that I've come here before and I haven't done my homework, but that's never going to happen again. Amen. I actually sat there this afternoon and I did two lessons. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Amen. Uh, so, tonight we're going to talk about the resurrection of the dead. Did anybody come away with, I know Mike pulled me aside, he's like, hey, this study created more questions for me than it gave me answers. <laughs> Did anyone else have that same result? All right. Okay, cool. You know what? I think that's actually a good thing. I think it's good for us to have questions that well up within us. Uh, if all we were doing was coming and things were getting shoved down our throat, and then we just continued to plow through without gaining understanding, that would be scary to me. But when questions start to arise as we study the Word, we should learn to let that uh, cause reverence to well up within us. That's what the, the Jewish people do. There is a, a, a lot more emphasis placed on revering God than we do. We want to figure everything out so that we can analyze it, put it into a logical flow. But there is a lot of appreciation when questions arise. In fact, there's even a, a prayer of thanksgiving when you come across something that you can't figure out. They would actually thank God because they know at one point He will reveal this to them. And so thank God when you come up with a question. Thank God when you come across something that causes you to go, wait, what? How? What about this then? What about this? Because it's engaging you. You're not detached from the information. Does that make sense? It's good for there to be questions. And this is the forum, remember, for you to ask questions. We want this to be a back and forth today. Because this is a discipleship process. Amen? I want to give a quick plug also for the Acts book that is coming up and being worked on right now. I want to tell you guys that what this is turning into is like a mini Bible education, collegiate type small thing for the academic side of studying the Word. Uh, you will learn how to use... Uh, Bible tools to study the original Greek and Hebrew, to see how words relate to one another. You will learn uh, uh, strong methods of interpretation that were used during the first century. You will learn how to read the Bible better, how to study the Bible better. But this is an Acts class, and it will start after this, after this book is done. Does anyone know how many weeks we have left, approximately? So there's 16 lessons left. Yeah, that puts us ending in July. Okay, so we're plowing through it. We're, we're, we're doing well, but I want to tell you, the Acts class will be a limited number of people. And what we're probably going to do is have a certain amount of people, probably 12 to 14, 
that we have in there. And then we will have people who uh, can audit the class. The people who audit the class won't be contributing anything. Okay, they will simply be there and can listen in and can study. And that even still will probably be invitation only. So the people that we're going to have participating in the class are people that we, uh, we want to empower the leaders first, the people who are already leading other people. That's what we're wanting to do. But we're also wanting to use a completed Discipleship Helps book as a qualifier. So there are several filters put in place. It's not the, peop- the people who will end up in that class are not the people that we feel the most sorry for, right? <laughs> or the people who uh, just seem the most loving or the people who seem the most eager. They're people who, with their lives, we can see they need this to continue to minister to the people around them. That's the people that we're going to put in this class, okay? So if you're thinking, I'm very eager. I hope he sees my eagerness. That's not like the qualifier. And why are we doing it this way? Because normally we're super inclusive, right? This church is super inclusive. Everybody can come to everything, including breakfast at our house any morning, right? So why would we be doing this? And Lindy's like, uh, no, she is. She feels the same way. You can be there tomorrow for sure. So why are we doing it this way? What we're wanting to do is we are wanting to put the tools into the hands of the teachers. There are teachers amongst this group and teachers in this body, people who are teachers. You are. And so we want to train you up so that you're not just out there foraging on your own and figuring out how to live like a survival man in the woods. We want to bring you in, teach you how to drink milk from a cup, right? I was, this was a joke. (laughs) Raised by wolves, come in, it's like Tarzan. Okay. No, but what we want to do is, we, because we're all being trained up, but, but we have to get serious about our education, okay? So that when we're not here one day, there are men and women who are better than us and stronger than us and, and are more capable than us, right? And, and we are trying to lay the groundwork to help make that happen. So... If you are trying to take your studies seriously, please know that we see that and we are wanting to put tools in your hands. If you are leading people, please know we see that you need resources and training and we're doing our best to really build that up. That being said, if this is something that you are interested in, but you're worried or concerned that if only 12 or 14 people are coming in that class, that you might not make it. Just don't even, don't even ask. We're watching. We, we're, we're trying to pick these people out ahead of time already. And that's not to, we're not ranking or doing anything like that. We're trying to figure out what the body needs. And we're trying to empower the body. Because those people who we teach first will then be responsible to go and teach three or four other people. And they will train up other people once that's done. So our goal is to discharge all of this training to the entire body, okay? We're not trying to hold it back from anybody. We want everyone to be trained. But the best way for us to do that is not in a setting like this, because some of you have questions, but you're too afraid to ask the question here in this format. We can't have that at that next format because there's some really difficult stuff that we're going to be going through, and we need to make sure that everybody's tracking because it will be how we grow as students. Does this make sense, what we're talking about? 
So the way is narrowing, but your value as a person is unchanged, right? We still love you the exact same, but we do want this work to grow past us and to continue on past us. And so we have to get serious about training. Amen? Amen. That being said, we also want to have fun. So be praying. It's what we want you, uh, you guys to join us in. Be praying that the Lord would continue to strengthen relationships and build joy in this place, right? And just ask the Lord to release supernatural joy on this body and that he would deepen relationships over these coming seasons so deep through enjoying life together. Amen? This doesn't always mean board games or video games, but we are looking for ways to have fun together, okay? In ways where we don't end up angry. (laughs) Or being surprised by the sunlight as we come outside, right? (laughs) Video gamers know what I'm talking about. (laughs) All right. So let's dig into the resurrection of the dead. Philippians 3.11. Dan, would you read that one out first, please? If by any means I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. Philippians 3.11, by any means. Lily, will you read 1 Corinthians 15, 51-53, please? Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall be all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, in the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised in, in, what? incorruptible. Incorruptible. We shall be changed. For this corrupt, for this corruptible must be uh, put on incorruption, and this mortal must put on immorality. Immortality. immortality. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> immorality is not being moral. Immortality is living forever. First Corinthians fifteen fifty one through fifty three. Good job. Uh, John five twenty eight through twenty nine. Valentine, loud and proud, my friend. Do not marvel at this, for the hour is coming in which all who are in the graves will hear his voice and come forth, those who have done good to the resurrection of life, and to those who have done evil to the resurrection of condemnation. John 5, 28 through 29. Thank you. Devin, it is so good to see your face here tonight. Y'all, y'all make sure to give Devin a hug. Amen. Uh, Emily, will you read Daniel 12, 1 through 2, please? Beautiful. All mankind will go through the process of death and resurrection. Resurrection means to be raised in a body that is eternal. This new body will be designed to live forever in one of two eternal places, heaven or hell. Place the series of events we will all face in chronological order. Okay? So number one, what did y'all put? Physical birth. We're tracking. Number two. 
Good so far. Number three. Okay, number four. Physical resurrection. Physical resurrection. The people who wrote physical resurrection are like, it's physical resurrection. <laughs> physical resurrection is number four. Judgment. Number five. Judgment. Yes, I'm getting few fewer voices. Okay, I quit. Eternal rewards is number six. Eternal state is number seven. Yes, Hans. Sure. Which one did you differ on? I see what you're saying. So you're saying that eternity begins and then the rewards come right. after that? I think that that's acceptable because of the way that you explained it, right? So you are in eternity, right? You're in an eternal state. Therefore, you're receiving eternal rewards. So I think that that's fine. Because what he means by eternal state here is now everything's been settled, everything's been reconciled, the rewards have been distributed, now we live in this state going forward. So, you can get groupthink going on. Like, yeah, that makes sense, yeah, it totally makes sense, let's go! <laughs> you get sabotaged by your own brothers and sisters. Anyone else disagree or have questions about that? Okay. All right. Be done here in the next 20 minutes. <laughs> the Bible reveals three types of death. Is that surprising? Study and define each. So spiritual death. Let's go to Genesis 3.17. Yes. Sydney, please read loud and proud, Genesis 3, 17. <laughs> then to Adam he said, Because you have heeded the voice of your wife and have eaten from the tree in which I commanded you, saying, You shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground for your sake, and toil you shall eat of it in all the days of your life. Beautiful. And then John 3, 3 through 6. Okay, Devin, would you read that out for us? Yep, Genesis 3, 3 to 6. It says, Jesus replied, Very truly, I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. How can someone be born when they are old? Uh, Nicodemus asked, Surely they cannot enter a second time into their uh, mother's womb to be born. Jesus answered, Very truly, I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born of water and the Spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the Spirit gives birth to the Spirit. Beautiful. Someone define, then, based off those, what spiritual death is. Zach. He had that call on me, call on me, call on me look on his face. While we were living in the flesh, our sinful passions aroused by the law, 
were at work in our members to bear fruit for death, but now we are released from a law, having died to that which held us captive, so that we serve in the new way of the Spirit and not in the old way of the written code. Okay. And so I put that the spiritual death is the death to our sin nature and acceptance of a life by the Spirit. Okay, so he wrote, spiritual death is the death to the sin nature? Okay. Someone else? Yes, Neka. Separation of our soul from God. Yeah, you can see it's a little cheat on the next page. It says spiritual death, separation from God. But I wrote, we died with Adam. It was the death of our spirit, separation from God. So if he's talking about spiritual death, that's the moment when we all were separated from God because we all were contained in Adam, right? That's 1 Corinthians as well. Anyone have a question about that? I was thinking, like, I wrote, like, well, I wrote a question about it. Obviously, I was like, is it, a cho- like, is spiritual death a choice? But when you explained it like that, because I was thinking, like, oh, like, can you, like, you have to make the choice of, like, being spiritually dead or having a spiritual death. But when you explained it like that, it's like we have all already are born into spiritual death. Correct. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Cool. Absolutely. So I see what you were saying. When you're thinking about spiritual death, you're thinking, oh, I need to die to myself or die to my flesh. So it's a spiritual way of dying, but that's, it's, it would be mixing the terminology that's being used here. So the, the, that would be the death of our flesh. <clears throat> so the physical death. Let's split these up. Hebrews 9.27. Let's take this half of the room. Who would like to take it? All right, Veronica. And then this half of the room, someone take uh, 1 Corinthians 15.50. All right, go ahead, Hannah. Hebrews 9, when you got it. Just as a man is destined to die once, and after that to face judgment. Okay, a man is destined to die once, and after that to face judgment. Hannah? Okay, so very plainly, Josh, what is physical death? that all men are destined to die and our physical bodies have no inheritance in eternity. Okay. Our bodies, I wrote our bodies, flesh will die once forever. Anyone have something vastly different than that or have questions about it? Good. Keep moving forward till the bomb gets dropped. Uh, Revelation 20, 6 and 14. Caleb, will you take that one, please? And... Revelation 21, 7 and 8. Tim, will you take that, please? Loud and proud. Blessed and holy are those who have part in the first resurrection. The second death has no power over them but they will be priests of God and Christ and will reign with him for a thousand years. Then then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. The lake of fire is, is the second death of anyone's name was not found written in the book of life. 
He was thrown into the lake of fire. Well done. 21. Those who are victorious will inherit all this, and I will be their God, and they will be my children. But the cowardly, the unbelieving, the vile, the murderers, the sexually immoral, those who practice magic arts, the idolaters, and all liars, they will be consigned to the fiery lake of burning sulfur. This is the second death. Elena, what is eternal death? Okay, good. Anyone have anything different than that for eternal death? I wrote those who are anti-God, that's the cowardly, the unbelieving, vile, murderers, sexually immoral, immoral, magicians, (laughs) idolaters, and liars. All magicians will spend eternity in hell. (laughs) Those who practice the magical arts. Not card tricks. <laughs> <laughs> kidding. <laughs> so we see death is really separation. So spiritual death is separation from God. Physical death is your spirit or soul are separated from your body. And eternal death would be to be eternally separated from God. Can you see how eternal death and spiritual death seem very close? Yes. Yeah. The New Testament doctrine of resurrection. What does the Bible teach? So let's go rapid fire for reading them. Let's do this. Aria, would you take Luke 24, 39 through 40? Paul, would you take John 20, 27? Brian, will you take Luke 21, 16 through 18? Christiane, will you take Job 19, 25 through 27. Uh, Maya, will you take Romans 8, 11? And Caleb, will you take John 5, 28 through 29? Daniel? Oh, Daniel. oh did I, I miss one? Uh, Michaela, would you take Daniel 12, 1 and 2, please? Is it the Old Testament? It's the New Testament. Huh. You got Job in there, too. You got Job in there, too. Yeah. Ah. What's the difference? Fresh breath. Oh, here we go. I'll answer it in just a second. Go ahead, Aria. Look at my hands and my feet. It is I myself. Touch me and see. A ghost does not have flesh and bones as you see I have. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and feet. Okay. So Luke 24, 39 through 40, what does that teach? What do you walk away from about resurrection from that scripture? Our resurrected bodies will have flesh and bones. Our resurrected bodies will have flesh and bones. Does anyone else walk away with something more complicated than that? I yes. I have a question about it. Okay. Because, like, off of what Josh said earlier, and he said, like, our earthly bodies can't inherit, like, the heavenly. Okay. But... This is Jesus being resurrected to the same body. Otherwise, he wouldn't have the same wounds. Okay. He wouldn't have, like, and if there's another verse here where it says, like, touch my hands. Mm-hmm. So, like, is it resurrected to the same body? Is it, like, what I know also people say that they think that Jesus could have resurrected in another form, too, with, like, the people along the road to Emmaus. 
like a whole bunch of different things. So what does that look like? Okay, well, let's not skip over those verses, that, like the, the one that you brought up about Emmaus. Can you find that for me? Okay, what's another verse or another scripture where it seems clear that they didn't recognize him? Okay, meeting in the garden. That's one. What's another one? Okay, what's there? The next verse. Okay. No, I'm, I, an, another verse about not recognizing Jesus. Is that... Thomas, Thomas, Thomas didn't believe. He doubted. So we have, you have the verse from the Emmaus? Okay, read that out. Luke 24, 13. It says, That same day, two of them were going toward a village about seven miles from Jerusalem called Emmaus. And they were talking with each other about the things that had happened. As they talked and discussed, Jesus himself came up and walked along with them. But something kept them from recognizing him. He asked them, what are you talking about with each other as you walk along? And they stopped short, their faces downcast. And one of them, named Cleopas, answered him, Are you the only person staying in Jerusalem that doesn't know the things that have been going on there the last few days? What things, he asked them. They said to him the things about Jesus from Nazareth. He was a prophet and provided, or improved it by the things he did and said before God and all the people. Our head priest and our leaders handed him over so that he could be sentenced to death and executed on a stake as a criminal. And we had hoped that he would be the one to liberate Israel. Besides all that, today is the third day since these things happened. And this morning, some of the women astounded us. They were at the tomb early and couldn't find his body, so they came back. But they also reported that they had seen a vision of angels who say he's alive. Some of our friends went to the tomb and found it exactly as the women had said, but they didn't see him. He said to them, foolish people. Okay, skip forward to the part where they say, didn't we know that it was Jesus? Our hearts were burning within us. They said to each other, didn't our hearts burn inside us as he spoke to us on the road, opening up the Tanakh to us? Okay, so we see that they knew Jesus, but for some reason they didn't recognize him in that moment. Veronica, you have something? Yes. On the evening of the first day of the week, when the disciples were together, with the doors locked for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. After this, I mean, after he said this, he showed them his hands and sighed. The disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. Should I keep going? Uh, no, I'm thinking of whenever they were... He was standing on the shore, yeah. and he had fish, yeah. right? You had a different one? What is it? Uh, it's just before what she was reading in uh, John, where he appears in uh, Mary. And yeah. John 20, 14, she said, at this she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but she did not realize that it was Jesus. Okay, good. And then there's one more, if anybody's got that one. John 20, four. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So we have several different points where it doesn't seem like if I saw you and you were talking, I wouldn't be, is that Laura May? No, it's Laura May, right? And so in the same way, you would think as these people are seeing him, clearly they're seeing him. Now, what can't we argue with? Well, clearly those scars are still there. Okay. 
But is it the exact same body? Or is something different enough about him to where even the people who were close to him didn't fully recognize him? Right? So are there some differences or at least some evidence that there could be differences? I would say yes. Would you guys say yes? Yeah. yeah. I, think it's, I think it's clear from those three scriptures. Yeah. Um, so since we're on the subject for the next question, I actually kind of thought about it as I was reading. I was wondering, there always seems to be a distinction for martyrs. And that, so I was wondering if the scars, uh, the, the, the wounds Jesus had, our bodies are supposed to be perfected, but dying as a martyr for Christ is held in great you know, is held in great esteem. And, mm. and so I'm, I was wondering if the markings of martyrdom will, will be retained in our, you know, in our resurrected bodies. Boy, that's an interesting thought. That'd be something to study out in the scriptures. Uh, I do think it's interesting because we were paralleling the Antichrist with uh, Jesus, with the Lord this morning whenever we were going through Revelation. And it would be interesting if Jesus still maintains the scars and the Antichrist is one of the beast out of the sea is identified from a wound that he had, a fatal wound that had been healed, that he still maintains and keeps. I was going to say, I think it's even just like when you have like your spiritual, or I don't know if it's like your spiritual death or death to your old self and birth to your new self. Like people have said to me, I didn't almost, I almost didn't even recognize you. You look so different. You know, so it's like even in our physical bodies, how much more so will it be whenever we actually die and then come back? You know, it's like yeah, yeah I think that those are, I think those are good points. I think those are good points. Yeah. Yes. Uh, I, I just want to look at it from this perspective because the scripture says that his body would not be allowed to see decay. Mm. Could Jesus be an exception? That Jesus's body was allowed to see decay. Flesh body course the glory of God running through it because he could be touched he could eat food yet he could still walk through walls yeah the, the, what I'm saying is rather than rather than us looking at those things and trying to define what his limitations are if we only take what scripture says which is that he was hungry that he had scars that he wasn't recognized by some of the people in a few different instances but that he still uh, was walking around with them, talking with them, walking through walls that he came and went in ways it seems like his abilities or powers or however you want to describe it have upped and some of his uh, things that might be perceived as weaknesses are still present, like hunger. Hunger, many would think would be a weakness. When you're hungry, it's, it's a weakness. But he gets hungry even in his resurrected body. Did he get hungry? Well, he, he asked them for food to eat, so maybe he was already full. I don't know if that's gluttony. I don't know how that works. No, but what we see is, what we see is Jesus is still operating in a body that is much like the one that we were created with, but there seems to be enough evidence that things have changed in his body. It's not the exact same. Wait. Go back to my 33-year-old skin. You know what I mean? And on a day when I shaved or something, I don't, you know. He was resurrected back into an eternal body that was ready for glory. Right? That's what we're ultimately going to get to. Yes. also think when we um, read in 1 Corinthians 15 about the different types of bodies that there are, Earthly bodies are of one type of splendor. Heavenly bodies is another kind. 
Um, the sun has one kind of splendor, the moon another, and star differs in splendor from star. So it will be at the resurrection of the dead. The body that is sown perishable is raised imperishable. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. It is sown a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. And that is what it says, but to read into what that means, that's our own interpretation. And, to, and so I don't think that we can interpret that because Jesus has scars, that that's inglorious or... Or decay. Or any type of thing. It's, it, it could be very glorious for the Son of Man to keep his scars for all eternity. And so to interpret what kind of body in glorious must or glorious must mean I think we can't take those liberties I think we have to see what Jesus was after he raised and allow that to determine our definition of what is glorious versus what we think it's good it yeah. should be it's good okay John 20 27 who had that one uh, I did. okay John 20, 27. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here, see my hands. Reach out your hand and put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. Okay, this is kind of what we just talked about. What was the main point? Take away of that. Don't be afraid. Yes? Um, I say one that it's still physical. But feeding into the previous one, too, because they're both related to that. It's also a spiritual body as well, because he's able to show the traits of both the physical and the spiritual. Like the spiritual, we see in, in Acts, when Philip is taken up in the spirit, and he's translocated, Jesus is able to do the same. And so I see him doing aspects of both in this, in his new resurrected body. Mm -hmm. So I say he's both physical and spiritual. Okay. Anybody else have a different thought? talked about how this is wrong, but like I took that to mean that it's your same body that's resurrected. Okay. See, I think this is good. The idea that it's our same body. Some of us are like, oh, that's a raw deal. Right? <laughs> yeah. I was, was kind of hoping for the grand reset when we get to heaven. <laughs> right, yeah, I should have taken better care of myself. That's your ultimate punishment. You made it into heaven, but there's a catch. No, there's no more tears. That's how we know that that's not the case. Right? Oh, God, no! I wrote, Jesus also had scars and conversed with those without resurrected bodies. I thought that that was pretty cool. Jesus, in his resurrected state, was conversing and ministering to those without resurrected bodies. Thousand year reign. Thousand year reign. That's Anyone? Anyone? <laughs> yes, Paul. As I'm reading this, thinking about like a physical resurrection, it's like, what happens to people who get cremated? You know? I was like, the first thing that came to my mind is reading people who like literally or incinerated by a nuclear bomb. Our body deteriorates. Either way, our body deteriorates. Yeah, with the martyr thing that people get with their heads cut off, that would be a little bit of a. Oh, they just have a neck scar. 
It's convenient. Go ahead. And his feet? His back. Oh. Hmm. That's a good question. That's a good question. Yeah. And it also made me think, like, well, what what scars will we bear for the kingdom of God? <laughs> These are great thoughts. Yeah, some of these we don't have answers to, and that's okay. You know, we don't have to force answers. I, I try to let this go, but now that the conversation keeps coming. I was always taught that when Jesus appeared to his disciples, that he wasn't resurrected yet. Am I wrong? When Jesus ah, appeared to his disciples, like he, he wasn't was, resurrected yet. Some people, this comes from a theory that some people assert that when Mary grabs onto Jesus in the garden and he says, let go of me for I've not yet ascended to the Father. Someone can help me with that verse reference. Um, and uh, some people will say, Oh, she caught him mid-ascension as if it was like an elevator and she accidentally hit the button and the door opened. He's like, it's full. You can't come in here. And then the door closed and he continued to go up. I just think once again, that's forcing an interpretation. So Jesus rose from the dead when the tomb rolled away. He had defeated death. He now stepped out. Uh, of that tomb with death defeated. The idea of if she caught him as he was going up and that somehow stopped him from doing it, um, I, I, I don't see that yeah. in Scripture. Uh, and I, I think that that would be a, a chance for us to study that verse more, uh, more in depth yeah. rather than be like, oh, so then he was going back up and down and she accidentally grabbed him in transit, right? What is it? 2017. John 2017. We're right there, so I'll just read it real quick. It says, uh, Jesus said, Do not hold on to me, for I have not yet returned to the Father. Go instead to my brothers and tell them, I am returning to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. So to say that she grabbed him in transit, I, I think you'd have to have some other support for that. What? What I would see is that he is going where they won't be able to find him, which he warned them about before. I'm going where you cannot come. This ultimately was his ascension to the right hand of the Father. I would say that would be the, the more plain and simple meaning is that Jesus did ascend to the Father and he remained there until he comes back rather than like Jesus comes back 3.0, Jesus comes back 4.0, you know, 5.0. And when he actually returns, it's like his seventh visit. You know what I mean? So I would say that he did make it clear that he would ascend to the right hand of the Father, which he did. And the angel said, why do you look for him here? He will come back in the same way that he is left. And so well, that's what I would say. I always read that verse just like the time for like clinging to me will come. But I have things for you to do now. That's good. That's good. Yes, sir. Is it proper to make the connection in Hebrews where it talks about Jesus going into the 
actual sanctuary mm. and purifying those instruments with his own blood mm. because on one minute he's saying don't touch me and the next minute a week later he's saying put your hand in my side mm, that's good that's good that's a great question um so if i can reiterate that question the idea were, were there actual was there an actual timeline in the heavens during that time where Jesus is literally going into the real temple that's in the heavens or in the spiritual realm while his body is laying in the grave or in the tomb? Would that be what you would say? Oh, no. After he had raised and came out of the grave, they wanted to touch him. He said, no, don't, for I have not yet ascended to my father. And in between that meeting and a week later when he met his disciples in Galilee, he actually did go into the heavenlies, present himself as the sacrificial lamb, enter the Holy of Holies, and wash those instruments with his blood, as it's described in Hebrews. So, um, so why don't we go to some of those verses yeah. in Hebrews. So that would be Hebrews 9. Is that what you're... Okay, it was necessary then for the copies of the heavenly things to be purified with these sacrifices. So remember what he's talking about. So he's referencing the worship in the tabernacle. What the priests would do is they would literally anoint each article. Every part of the tabernacle would be anointed so that it was all wholly set apart and made clean. So it says, uh, to be purified with these sacrifices, but the heavenly things themselves with better sacrifices than these. Remember, that's plural, too. Sacrifices than these. Uh, For Christ did not enter a man-made sanctuary that was only a copy of the true one. He entered heaven itself, now to appear for us in God's presence. Now to appear for us in God's presence. Nor did he enter heaven to offer himself again and again, the way the high priest enters the most holy place every year with blood that is not his own. Then Christ would have had to suffer many times since the creation of the world. But now he has appeared once for all at the end of the ages to do away with sin by the sacrifice of himself. Just as man is destined to die once and after that to face judgment, So Christ was sacrificed once to take away the sins of many people, and he will appear a second time, not to bear sin, but to bring salvation to those who are waiting for him. Was that the scripture passage that you're talking about? Uh, Yeah, but I I thought there was another one that goes in a little bit more detail, because this only says that he entered heaven itself, not that he appeared for us in God's presence. So from this, what I see, and if you find another scripture passage, let me know. But from this, what I see is that the appearance is here on earth. He is appearing as a sacrifice sacrifice once for all. And that in the same way that the priest used to take the, and this is the Day of Atonement sacrifice that we're talking about, right? Would take the blood of the goat into the Holy of Holies and sprinkle it once a year at the right time, the right person, in the right place with the right sacrifice, sprinkle the blood on the Holy of Holies, and everyone's sin would be forgiven for a year, right? That started over for that previous year. But now this is saying, no, he appeared once 
for all. And this wasn't just a man-made thing, but this was happening in the heavenlies. So remember, we often think of, of heaven as up there, right? Even while I'm talking about this, even all of us who have sat through these teachings over and over again, when I'm talking about him entering into a heavenly sanctuary, are we not picturing somewhere up there some sanctuary that we can't see that's invisible and he's like up there doing things in the clouds that you can't see, right? That's the way that we think. I don't know why we think that way, but that's, what we, that's how we think. But what this is saying is that what he's doing in that moment is, is, is having an effect for all of heaven, for all the earth, for all of mankind, but it was happening there quite literally at the cross. Now, what he did while he was in the tomb, that would be something different, right? And we can, we can have a discussion about that if you guys want. But what I would say is, as far as him ascending in that moment after he had already raised from the dead and then going up into some heavenly temple that we're picturing and, and then doing things like a normal priest would on earth, I, I, think, that that's, I think that that would be forcing the text. Did you have something? It's okay, no. Yeah, and Nick, verses uh, 6 through 14 affirm what you just said. Ver, uh, 9, 6 through 14? Yeah, affirm everything you just said. Okay. Good. So uh, Hebrews uh, 9, 6 through 14, Mike, if you want to kind of side, sidebar on that. Uh, who had Luke 21, 16 through 18? Okay, go ahead, Brian. You will be delivered up even by parents and brothers and relatives and friends, <laughs> and some of you they will put to death. You will be hated by all for my name's sake, but not a hair on your head will perish. Okay, so what's the main idea? Brian, what did you get for this one? I suppose we'll be delivered up by family, been hated by people, possibly killed, but nothing will perish because the Lord will restore everything. Okay, so Brian, take off your hat real quick. <laughs> not a hair on your head will perish, my friend. <laughs> Hans, you too. That promise stands for you too, my friend. So what's, what's supposed to catch our attention from this verse? Even though we die, not only will we not perish, not only will we not perish, what else? What won't perish? Our hair. What about people with no hair? Will they suddenly get a head of hair? How will the hair be? Will it be gray? Will it be like Fabio's? Eyebrows and eyelashes and stuff? Okay. Okay, sweet. So I think that it's supposed to draw our attention to, wait a second, I just died, but he's telling me not a hair on my head will perish. What if, in light of eternity, we look back on this life and we realize how short it really was? To us, it seems like a long time sometimes, right? The days, the days seem long, the years seem short, right? So, but what we see is, that somehow our focus is supposed to shift. When we look and it's like, oh, I'm going to die in this life? Wait, that's the worst thing possible. And he's like, no, no, don't worry. Not a hair on your head will perish. What are you referencing? Oh, I'm referencing the afterlife. I'm referencing your eternal state. Okay. Job. Okay, go ahead. Stand upon the earth, and after my skin has been thus destroyed, 
Yet in my flesh I will see God, whom I shall see for myself, and my eyes shall behold, and not another. My heart faints within me. Man, isn't that beautiful language? Yeah. Amen. So, Christian, what's the main takeaway from that scripture? I said, though my body gets destroyed, my Redeemer has risen, and He will raise me up too, and He will show Himself faithful. Yeah. I thought this was another one where it says, my flesh will be destroyed, but my eyes will see it. Okay. Yeah, you had some. Go ahead, Josh. So I was thrown off by the fact that it said, after my skin and then yet in my flesh. Right. So I went back and I looked at uh, those Hebrew words there. Okay. The word skin is or... Um, which is the same word that's used to talk about the covering of skin or flesh that is used to cover Adam and Eve as they left the garden. Mm. So that like skin covering that hid their shame and nakedness. And then the word uh, uh, flesh is basar, which is the word that references the actual body that was created in Genesis. Mm. So it's saying that like the covering that I once had has been removed and now what God wow. has created cool. That's cool. That's is deep. now able to encounter him. That is deep. That's good, man. Thank you. Romans 8, 11. And if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who lives in you. Come on, Maya. What's the takeaway? Um, I said we are going to be resurrected through the Spirit, so it's nothing we're doing, it's through the Spirit. <laughs> Amen. Amen. What else did y'all get on that? So Romans eight eleven. what's the main takeaway? Did you have that? You have a question? Yeah. Yeah, real quick. Someone else with Romans eight eleven. Yeah, Ian, go ahead. Okay, good. That's what I wanted to get at. Go ahead. So my question is, it says like the one who raised Jesus from the dead. Mm-hmm. And it talks about the spirit. Mm-hmm. Does, is it something that needs to be specified whether that was God, Jesus, or the Holy Spirit? Was it like all three? Like, how does that work? What, what is the uh, difference between God, Jesus, and the Holy Spirit? God is the Father. Okay, keep going. God is the Father, Jesus is the Son. Explain that to a Jew. Yeah. What? Man, Jesus. Jesus is God in the flesh. Jesus is God in the flesh. Okay. Mm-hmm. So then whose spirit would it be? Jesus. Is it? All of them. Is it was it Jesus' spirit or God's spirit? God's spirit. Jesus is, is it? God. Jesus is God's spirit. The Holy Spirit is the Spirit of God. Whenever we studied the Holy Spirit, remember we saw the different names that were given of the Holy Spirit? It is God's Spirit, right? God's Spirit has raised Jesus' mortal, fleshly, Adam-descendant body, right? Raised Him up from the dead, proving that He can do the same for us. That was the whole point. Jesus is the first fruits of those who have risen from the dead, those who were asleep but have awoken, Right? Jesus is proof that mortal men can be raised from the dead by the Spirit of God. They can overcome death when they are born again by the Spirit. Okay? So, if you're trying to distinguish, we can't. 
It's the Spirit of God. Cool beans. Uh, yes. Sorry, when we talk about like this, I think it harkens back to, again, to Genesis at the creation, the Ruach of the breath of God that brought first life, mm. and then again connecting it now to the spiritual life is brought through the Holy Spirit of God. So it's that new breath that comes upon you that brings you that new life. Totally. Totally. I, I, I've, I've pictured Jesus in the tomb like when the breath enters him again, like Adam. You know what I mean? Like in the same way that breath gets breathed into Adam and he's animated, right? And Jesus, the breath enters him and he's animated again. I mean, how cool, you know? One just coming into life, the other one overcoming death, you know? John 5, 28 and 29. Okay. Do not marvel at this, for an hour is coming when all who are in the tombs will hear his voice and come out, those who have done good to the resurrection of life and those who have done evil to the resurrection of judgment. Mm. What's the takeaway, brother? Uh, I said that everyone gets resurrected, some to eternal life and others to judgment. And when does it happen? When they hear his voice. When they hear his voice. So who will get up? Everyone. Everyone. And what will happen to them when they get up? Judged by what? By their deeds. Darn it. Darn it. And for the righteous, what deeds? Any good deeds? Deeds done in faith. Because without faith, is it possible to do a good deed with no faith? Yes. So we will be judged according to the deeds done in faith. Do you see that? Now, for those who are unrighteous or wicked, how will they be judged? According to their sin, their evil deeds, right? Their deeds were done in defiance. Do we remember this morning, the crew from this morning? What is blasphemy of the Holy Spirit? Someone. I can only say my interpretation, and that's Attributing the work of the Holy Spirit to the work of Satan. Okay, someone help him out. You guys were a little too quiet, too too long. Ian, go ahead. Bold defiance of the Holy Spirit. Defiance. Bold defiance. This is numbers. This is numbers fifteen thirty and thirty one. We'll see it very clearly. It says, "Anyone who sins defiantly blasphemes the Lord." So remaining in our defiance, remaining undeterred. Blasphemy of the Holy Spirit is sinning defiantly against the Holy Spirit. That's the only sin that will not be forgiven when we are defiant and remain in our sin. That is the spirit of the Antichrist, as we read this morning in multiple verses. And so defiance and remaining in sin against the Holy Spirit, defiance of the Holy Spirit, that's the sin that will not be forgiven. Is that because the Holy Spirit is the one that convicts us to repent to God? So if we're being defined against sin, then we are not repenting towards God, so that we cannot receive forgiveness for the sin yeah. that we're being defined against yeah. I would say that that's one part of it. I would also say, because the Spirit of God is at work all over the world, even for people who haven't heard about Jesus. Mm. Oh, yeah. So would you be able to say that they're accountable to being uh, against the works of God without knowing that it was the Holy Spirit, whereas believers... No, in the passage in Numbers, this is not just talking about unintentional. This is talking about there's an intentionality and a defiance. 
The spirit of the Antichrist is one who rejects and despises authority. So the people who will not be forgiven are those who continue in their defiance. They will not be forgiven because they have chosen to reject the authority that has the power to forgive them. Go ahead. Does that mean that they have to already have had come to the knowledge of Christ and also the Holy Spirit and then be defiant towards it? So no one will have an excuse. This is Romans 1. Everyone sees the invisible qualities of God at work in creation. The Spirit is reaching out to everyone. Everyone is being reached out to by the Spirit of God. Okay? And the people who reject His Spirit defiantly will not be forgiven. This is what we were reading this morning. I don't know how we got there. What were we? Oh, the wicked deeds. So chew on that for a little bit. And if some questions arise, we're happy to address those. No, I just said thank you. Oh, for sure. Daniel 12, 1 and 2. Who had that one? Okay. Um, At that time, Michael, the great prince who protects your people will arise. There will be a time of distress such as has not happened from the beginning of nations until then. But at the time, your people, everyone whose name is not written in the book, will be delivered. Multitudes who sleep in the dust of the earth will awake, some to everlasting life and others to shame and everlasting contempt. Okay, Michaela. Um, what I wrote was kind of what Caleb said, was that either, like, when you are re- resurrected again, either that will lead to eternal life or eternal death. And I also had a question. Um, <coughs> when it says, multitudes who sleep in the dust of the earth will awake, well, Emily and I kind of had a question about this. It's kind of like, okay, who's sleeping in the dust of the earth? Yeah, because that's my question. Didn't it say in this chapter that we resurrect immediately? Okay. So. <laughs> Lindy and I never argue, fuss, or fight, but we had a spirited conversation about this topic. I want to present a few scriptures to you that uh, represent where I stand, my interpretation of this. I knew this question would come up, and I want to address it because it's a valid one. I'm going to give you a few scriptures that show where I stand, if you'll give me uh, just a second. So let's go to the account of Lazarus first. So the question was, it's in uh, John 11, by the way. Um, I think it's in John 11. Yeah. Uh, So the question was, basically, if I can paraphrase it, let me know if I get it wrong. Uh, In Daniel 12, it says, Multitudes will awake from sleeping in the dust. And if as soon as we die, we are with the Lord, then how is someone sleeping in the dust? Valid question? Yeah, I think so too. Uh, John 11. Look at verse 11. After he had said this, he went on to tell them, Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I am going there to wake him up. His disciples replied, Lord, if he sleeps, he will get better. Let him sleep. (laughs) By the way, parents of older teens or early 20s, you don't have to let your kids sleep all the time. It's not always the solution. 
his, dis- his disciples replied, Lord, if he sleeps, he will get better. Jesus had been speaking of his death, but his disciples thought he meant natural sleep. So what did Jesus himself refer death to? Sleep. Sleeping. So then he told them plainly, Lazarus is dead. Guys, I was trying to be hopeful. And for your sake, I am glad I was not there so that you may believe. Okay? Um, and then we want to look at one more. We have uh, one more of Jesus and then a few scriptures of Paul's. Uh, Jesus goes and raise, raises um, the daughter. Where is that? Jesus raises the little girl. Mark 6. Thank you. You guys are on point. Uh, let's Actually, see. Five. Mark 5. Okay. That's the man with the demon. No? 521. Oh, so look at 37. He did not let anyone follow him except Peter, James, and John, the brother of James. When they came to the home of the synagogue ruler, Jesus saw a commotion with people crying and wailing loudly. He went in and said to them, Why all this commotion and wailing? The child is not dead, but asleep. And they laughed at him. And then he says in verse 41, He took the girl by the hand and said to her, Talitha ka'um, which means, Little girl, I say to you, get up. Turn to 1 Thessalonians 4. Look at verse 13. 1 Thessalonians 4, 13. Brothers, we do not want you to be ignorant about those who fall asleep or to grieve like the rest of men who have no hope. We believe that Jesus died and rose again, and so we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep in Him. He's about to tell you how that's going to happen. According to the Lord's own word, we tell you that we who are still alive, who are left till the coming of the Lord, will certainly not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord Himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trumpet call of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Will rise first or descend first? will rise first. After that, we who are still alive and are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will be with the Lord forever. Paul elsewhere many times talks about falling asleep. Falling asleep. Falling asleep. Okay? What I would propose to you, my thought is, somehow, when you fall asleep now, what's interesting about when you fall asleep when you wake up, do you have any concept of time most of the time? You wake up and you're like, what time is it, right? First thing you ask, what time is it, right? What time is it, right? I think in the same way, it's relating that period. Now, this is me talking, okay, from the scriptures that we just read. That in the same way, as soon as someone dies, immediately they wake, 
with no concept of any time that has passed by. And for them, it is that moment that to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. There is no, it's not like they're waiting there in the coffin or casket or urn or, you know, in the air. Right? But, but it's, that, it's that immediately they are, they are with Christ. We are with Christ together. And there's no gap in, in time for them. There's no concept. So anyways, that's my thought from what we're reading in these scriptures. Can you guys see how I would come to that? I'm not asking you to agree with me, but can you yeah. see how I would come to that? Okay, thought? That's, that's a concept that I believe, unfortunately, as many times as Jesus talked about hell, the story of Lazarus and the rich man, yeah. uh, that these are very, very real places. Yeah. So am I sleeping or am I in hell and, and heaven? Is that a holy place? The martyrs under the altar that scream for justice. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. Which we've talked about the, the martyrs crying out uh, before. We talked about what that meant in Revelation. But um, yeah, so then let's, let's argue a little bit for the other side. Let's argue uh, a little bit for this idea that there is a holding place where we are right now. Y'all come, give me some scriptures. That way we can present both sides and you can have... Yeah, just start where it makes sense. Okay. Um, I'll start at 18, I guess. For Christ also died for sins once for all, the just for the unjust, so that he might bring us to God, having put, been put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit, in which also he went and made proclamation to the spirits now in prison. So, um, I know that... Keep going. Okay. How far do you want to go? Just read the next verse. Once disobedient, when the patience of God kept waiting in the days of Noah, during the construction of the ark, in which a few, that is, eight persons, were brought safely through the water. Okay, so he's talking about spirits there, right? So we just we just want to be fair. We'll definitely look at because the one that he's talking about, where Jesus talks about Lazarus and the uh, rich man, uh, is a very good story. If you want, if someone wants to find that. Luke 16. So I think, Andrew, I think that's a really good one because who was populating hell that he went down and preached to? It says spirits here. Were there other spirits that we know of in the days of Noah that were also present on the earth? Okay. In fact, spirits that the Lord would not contend with. Right. And so we see there is an interaction between the, the, them. And I just think before we say, see, justification or validation for that. Let's just bring up that point and let's see if we can find some other verses that are a little more plain in saying, hey, these, these people go to a holding place. Yeah. You know what I mean? Okay, Luke 16. Uh, yeah, 16.22. Okay. The time came when the beggar died and the angels carried him to Abraham's side. The rich man also died and he was buried in buried. In hell, where he was in torment, he looked up and saw Abraham far away, with Lazarus by his side. So he called him, Father Abraham, have pity on me, and send Lazarus to dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue, because I am in agony in this fire. But Abraham replied, Son, remember that in your lifetime you received your good things, while Lazarus received bad things. But now he is comforted here, and you are in agony. And besides all this, between us and you... A great chasm has been fixed, so that those who want to go from here to you cannot, 
nor can anyone cross over from there to us. I find it interesting that the rich man still thought that Lazarus could be bossed around. Hey, tell him to bring me some water. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it is interesting. The great reversal. We see him sitting out there. It says, uh, even the dogs came and licked his sores. Now, we, we just got back uh, from uh, Israel. And so the very real place of Gehenna uh, was a reference to hell. So they referenced, Jesus referenced Gehenna many times. And it's just translated as hell. But it was a very physical place. And it's where they took the refuse and it would burn and the fire would never go out. And dogs would go there and they would eat what had been tossed out. And the worms would also always be present in that place. That Gehenna is translated as hell, but it's a very real place. I have pictures of it. And so it's interesting that it uses, even the dogs came and licked his sores. Right? We see it's like Lazarus was in hell on this earth. But now we see Lazarus being comforted. And the rich man being far away and wanting what Lazarus has. This is a pretty, it's a pretty strong support for this idea that there are holding places. And so I think that this is something to consider, uh, too, because of the way that Jesus tells this story. It's different than other parables he tells, because he gives a specific name, Lazarus, and then he talks about specific places. So many people say this is, pro- this is possibly something that even happened that actually happened that Jesus is describing to people. So that's also interesting too. Yeah. Is it Jewish thought that, um, isn't it when you die, it's like you're asleep? Isn't that Jewish thought? I don't know. I don't, I don't know if it is or not. Sorry. Yeah. I, I heard that when like, the Jews believed that when they died, they went to be with Abraham. And like here it says, you know, he went to be with Abraham in Abraham's bosom. Mm-hmm. So when they died, they would be with Abraham. Yeah. Um, yeah, I don't know as much about that either. Okay. I don't know as much about that either. That's uh, the only scripture that references Abraham's, Abraham's side. That's the only yeah. the only one in, in our scripture that references. Yeah. Okay. Well, when it, in, it talks about the kings being laid to rest with their fathers, mm. you know, that could also be another Old Testament reference to Abraham. Yeah. Yeah. You will not abandon your holy one to decay. Um, is David speaking? You, you mentioned that. You will not abandon your holy one to decay. Um, yeah, Nikki. Well, I just want to throw out a just, just a thought because I don't know scripture like most people in here. No one hold Nikki accountable for what she's about to say. Okay, you're good, <laughs> Nikki. Go ahead. So the idea of, let's say that someone doesn't know about Jesus, they can't be held accountable for knowing about Jesus or God or His Holy Spirit, and they've tried to do good things. Shouldn't they get a chance to uh, not be in hell? Right. Would that be a good way to say it? Yeah. You guys heard that before? Yeah. 
Like the idea, like, come on, give them a break. Like I would give them a break. Would you guys give them a break? Like if you saw someone, it's like, I didn't know. No one ever told me. Well, come on, guy. I mean, you're going to hold him. No one told him, right? Yeah, but someone, sorry. Yeah. Random Amazonian never even saw you see white Okay, go ahead, Elder Ben. Romans 1 says, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them, because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world. And these things that have been made, so they are without excuse. Beautiful. Psalm 14.1 says, A fool says in his heart, there is no God. Well, I'm not saying that there's no God. I'm just saying if they were righteous, godly people, they just don't, you know, don't call it God, don't call it Jesus. They are righteous, godly people. How, how many people are righteous? Nobody. Nobody, Nobody not even. So there is no one righteous. That is Romans 3, 10 through 12. There's no one righteous. No one seeks God, right, on their own. It's the spirit that draws men to God. And the people who will be held accountable are the people who heard the knocking and resisted or remained defiant in their sin. We can't fathom how that's actually happening. Because we don't know who those people are in the Amazon. We've never seen them. We don't know their names. They don't speak English. They don't have the same clothes as we do. But God created them in their mother's womb. He knit them together, formed them. He has plans for them, and He is reaching out to them. And if they will respond, they will know Him. We say, but if if a, a, a white missionary doesn't go there with a Bible, then how will they ever know about Jesus? God has revealed himself through his creation to them. And they are just as much on his mind and being watched by him as anyone in here. Right? That's why I'm thinking those people are the ones that that did adhere to God's calling that may be in whatever limbo or whatever it's that's waiting for judgment day rather than... But there's no scriptural support for that. The the idea that they're being held in like a purgatory type... Uh, that would be a construct of the Catholic Church. Um, yeah. I, I would suggest that um, after the thousand year reign, when everybody is raised up, we've actually read that twice today some for eternal life and some yes. for condemnation. And they're really referring to the white throne judgment. And the strange part is that they don't take part in the thousand year reign, so they weren't believers. They're all raised to life again. Mm-hmm. And Satan has let back out of hell. And he forms an army to come after Jerusalem. I believe there will be people that will come to the aid of Israel and Jerusalem. And I believe at that time, when he wipes all that out, the white throne judgment takes place. If the book of life is open, there's got to be some people's names in there that will find eternal life based on what they did. So... What we see, I'll push back and then we'll keep going through the book. Y'all doing okay? We're all okay? So I'll push back on that. This is what I would say. So the righteous are resurrected, and we're going to read through these verses, so follow along with me and then you'll see as we read through it. The righteous are resurrected when Jesus comes back. The dead in Christ rise first, 
We who are still alive when he comes will meet him in the air. We will all be assembled and stay with him forever. We will rule and reign from Jerusalem in the millennial reign, which is a thousand years long. Jesus will strike down the Antichrist and the false prophet. He will bind up Satan for a thousand years in the abyss. Actually, the angel will will bind up Satan for a thousand years in the abyss. And then we will rule and reign. The leaves of the tree will be for the healing of the nations. What does that mean? We are living in a city that no one can enter into, according to Revelation 22, without washing their robes in the blood of the Lamb. If you go back and you look at the judgment that falls on the earth, if there are seven and a half billion people on the planet right now, there are going to be billions of people that are still alive after all of the judgments of God, the wrath of God being poured out on this world. So what's going to be happening? Those who belong to the Lord will be inside the city, ruling and reigning with Him. Those who practice witchcraft, idolatry, and all sorts of terrible things will be on the outside. The only way anyone will be able to come in will be if they wash their robes in the blood of the Lamb. So what does this mean? This means that we will be there with resurrected bodies. But those who choose to wash their robes in the blood of the Lamb can come in to there without resurrected bodies. I believe that in the city of God, we will have people who come in who choose to follow the Lord, maybe even people who were born to these witchcraft, idolatry people who refuse or rejected Jesus. They're born during that time. And they see, wait, Jesus is ruling and reigning from Jerusalem, and they choose to acknowledge Him as Lord and come into that place, but they are different than we are. And in the same way that Jesus in His resurrected state is ministering to the disciples who are not resurrected, I believe that we could be ministering to people who are not resurrected there inside that city. And so then, when they die, there is still the matter of them receiving resurrected bodies because they died in Christ. So then when the book of life is opened, there are their names. That's what I would propose from what I see in Scripture. But they say that they're judged according to what they've done, not their faith. Book of life. The only way that they're in the book of life is because of the Lamb. It's the Lamb's book of life. Amen. Okay, let's truck through. Our bodies will be fits a lot, but this is good. Our bodies will be fitted for eternity. The Christians. In Paul's letter to the Thessalonians, he addressed the believers on the resurrection of the dead and the return of Christ. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel and with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. At that moment, we will undergo a complete transformation in our bodies. Uh, let's see. Brad, would you read the next portion down to the damned? Oh, gotcha. This is on page 183. Start at 1 Corinthians 15, 50, and just keep going down. Sure. Uh, from corruptible to incorruptible. Two. From mortal to immortal. Three. From dishonor to honor. Four. From dead to alive. Five. From natural to supernatural. See also Romans 8, 21 through 23. Okay. 
Uh, let's go to Romans 8, 21 through 23. Lindy read earlier, 1 Corinthians 15. So let's go to Romans 8. Twenty-one through twenty-three. Alan, would you read twenty-one through twenty-three, please? Yes. That the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption of the sons. The redemption of our bodies. Ooh, man. Okay. Uh, so, from what we just read, did anyone write any thoughts on that passage, Zach? I did not. I had a question really quick. Okay. You never really concluded your thought from Daniel in that question of, is it immediate or is there... What, I'm, what I want to present to you guys, to be fair, uh, I don't think that that's a point that I can prove conclusively. There are still a few problematic passages, in my opinion, that make it to where if I said, hey, once you die, time is different, you know, than it is to people here, everyone's asleep, and the next thing you know when you die is that you're with Christ, you know. I, I, I can show several different places where the term they're asleep is being used. And you don't usually say that of a person who is actually more conscious in the spirit, right? I wouldn't say if I thought, this is, this is me. This is what a lot of people, for comfort, because we have people that have died that we love. And we like to think that they're up there, peering over and watching us from above. That's a comforting thought, right? But... And, and you could say, oh, Hebrews, uh, we're surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses. Like they're, they're there and they're watching us like that. And, and I, I want to say, I'm not trying to, I recognize this is a sensitive issue for people because they, they, it is comforting to think that people are beyond the grave and they're watching us and they're cheering us on and we don't know it yet, but they're actually, what I think is from scripture, what I see is it's compared to falling asleep because it's a temporary state that you will be woken up from and we will be with Christ. But I also want to allow for the idea that people are somehow with the Lord right now, in our right now, and it's a type of holding pattern. It's a type, I mean, I'm, so I would love to give you more conclusive answers than that, but that's where I stand. Uh, Samuel had that. Uh, where he called up, Saul called up Samuel. Saul called him up. And from the witch of Endor. He was, he was awakened from his sleep. Yeah, uh, so I've asked Eric about that, uh, about uh, that point, and um, I believe, if I'm not mistaken, if he ever happens to listen to this, I believe uh, that he said that whatever was pulled up was not Samuel. So that even if, even if it seems like that's what's happening or if that's what's, what's being written down, that this is not Samuel, he may have seen some projection or fabrication, or fabrication something like that, that simply told him what he already knew, you know? So, because Jesus said too, today, I tell you the truth today, you, you will be, be with me in paradise. paradise. Right. And, and then the question would be, what is today? Yeah. What is, yeah. Where does the God go? Right. Right. So anyways, this is a good thing for us to keep going. I, I'm not trying to say that everyone has to think 
like I do. I'm saying those are the scriptures that I get mine from. If you have different ones, I'm open to hearing and to listening and to growing right along with everybody else. The paradise, when I looked into that, the definition for both a holding place and caught up to the third heaven when he says, I knew a friend of mine who was caught up to paradise. That's, um, he's referring to John when he got caught up to the third heaven. Um, so that definition is both. Both places are in that definition. Today I'll be with you in paradise. So the mystery continues. That helps. You know, <laughs> there, are, there are good cases made for both, and that's why we're in the middle of a great discussion at home. You know, we're. You know, you've all read about the coming passages about what Paul says about to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord, and and a few others that we're going to read and that we've already read. Um, but I think Nick started out the conversation with a great... Um, Disclaimer. Yeah, that the Jews, we have to know, you know. We need to put our ducks in a row. But the Jews aren't like that, and they celebrate God for the questions because of the searching it out. You know what I mean? And they how revere bad him. do we want to search it out? You know, it could come to those who really show that they want it bad enough. Amen. Yeah. Mm. It's good. It's good. It's good. It's good. Yeah. Yep. It's good. Okay, we are crawling. <laughs> One of the scariest passages in the entire Bible has to be Romans 9:22. What if God, wanting to show his wrath and to make his power known, endured with much long suffering the vessels of wrath prepared for destruction? Who in here wants to be a vessel of wrath? Not I, said the pig. Two, six, seven, five. Catartizo. Uh, this is a word study. This is what I'm digging into every day. Every day. Uh, from kata, with and artiza, to adjust, fit, finish. From artios, fit, complete. The fundamental meaning is to put a thing in its appropriate condition to establish, set up, equip, arrange, prepare, mend. Uh, from RTZ and XRTZ to accomplish. <laughs> That's how I pronounce that strange combination of A and E. RTZ. So. <laughs> the word prepared. Catartizo is used to indicate that those who die in their sins, having rejected Christ, are fitted with a body designed to endure hell. Kind of crazy, isn't it? Don't we feel bad for people that are going to be in hell? Because we think, I've touched a hot stove, and I would not want that to be happening to me all over my body for all of eternity. Does anyone else think that way? Okay, right? I don't want to be getting burned by fire for all of eternity. That sounds terrible. Somehow, they are fitted with a body to endure hell for all of eternity. So what we can do is we can say, I don't know what that means, right? <laughs> what does that mean? Does that mean they have like some sort of armor or thicker skin? Fire doesn't burn as bad. I don't know. But they have a body that is prepared for hell in the same way that Jesus eats, but also walks through walls. 
I don't get it. His body was prepared for glory, right? But we see bodies prepared for destruction. There are different things at play. The word prepared, uh, let's see, Daniel 12, 2. And many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake, some to everlasting life, some to shame and everlasting contempt. This was something I wanted to mention with Daniel. It's interesting that shame and contempt are mentioned for those who will spend eternity apart from the Lord. Shame. Shame. Have you ever felt shame? Contempt. Have you ever felt like someone had contempt for you or you had contempt for someone else? I think sometimes the things that we actually ascribe to hell as the worst parts, like flames, having to endure flames, I think having to live with crippling shame and contempt and being eternally separated from God would be way worse. Because it hurts you in your soul. Right? And I've been hurt physically before and comforted while being hurt. But when I'm hurting in my soul and there's no comfort, oh, that's a scary place to be. It's a hard and crippling place to be, right? Annihilationism is the false doctrine that at death we simply cease to exist. We are annihilated. Our bodies die and our spirits and souls die as well. The Bible teaches just the opposite. Matthew 25, 41. Vera, would you read that? Matthew 25, 41. Did you have a question, Valentine? No? <laughs> she said, gosh, that is a tiny Bible. It's a tiny <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> yeah. Friend in need is a friend indeed. Matthew 25, 30. 40. Yeah, 41. 41. Then he will say to those on his left, Depart from me, you who are cursed, into the eternal fire prepared for the, for the devil and his angels. Okay, so we see here eternal fire. We can't understand eternity also. That is a, a, a concept that is so difficult to grasp. Everything we've ever known is finite, right? We're trying to grasp an infinite God. The concept of eternity is difficult to grasp, but I want to tell you it is very real. And an eternal fire has been prepared for those who reject God. We will not be sorry for how seriously we took this when we meet Him face to face. Okay. At death, we are released from our natural bodies and we are fitted with supernatural bodies. At death, we enter into eternity. This explains Paul's life motivation. That I may know him in the power of his resurrection, the fellowship of his sufferings being conformed to his death, if by any means I may attain to the resurrection of the dead. Not that I have already attained or am already perfected, but I press on that I may lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus has also laid hold of me. Philippians 3, 10 through 12. How does Paul describe his goal? Debbie. He says he wants to experience the power that raised Jesus from the dead. Um, his goal is to reach that. Yes. 
the power of the resurrection. The Holy Spirit? The power of the resurrection? Yeah, for sure. And I think that also the power of the resurrection, I think it, it would be good for us to realize that, that that's a very special power because that is a, the power over death. Then it, it, it's proven that every enemy can be defeated. So the power of resurrection, the power over death, because death is the last and greatest enemy to be defeated. Yes, how is that possible? Right? Because we don't think of death as like a being. But he is. <laughs> death will be cast into the lake of fire. Death will be defeated and death will be gone. Death won't exist anymore in our reality. We will only know eternal life forever. Powerful. Yeah, so death and Hades would come in after gladiatorial fights and would, would take all the dead bodies out of the ring. And so they were, they were actual figures. They were actual figures. People played them as parts. In the gladiator matches, when people would die, they would come and they would gather the bodies, and death and Hades would come and they would take, they'd wear masks, and they would take the bodies away. So that was part of the whole... What's that? Yeah, maybe. So, but you see, people have personified death, right? So, yeah. Yes? Um, Tom Bradford describes uh, time... Uh, he defined it as the, uh, the, a way of measuring decay. So it exists only in, in the reality where things decay. And so if you remove death and decay, you're thus removing time. So eternity is, going, is in the presence of God where there is no time. And so also that puts a new spin on hell. If there's no time, there's no decay. It's just perpetual yeah, I, I, I also think what's interesting is, so faith, hope, and love, and the greatest of these is love, right? These three remain, faith, hope, and love. But love will, will endure forever. Why? We won't need faith and hope anymore. What's interesting is, without time, you can't really demonstrate faithfulness. Nor is hope needed without time. Everything simply exists, right? So faith and hope, will go, only love, only life is all we'll know. Yeah. I don't know about all that. Now you're venturing into a place I don't know. So let's keep going. How do we live with eternity and the resurrection in mind? Let's see. Sharon, would you mind helping us with that one? Yeah. Yes, yes. While we live in the balance of all I have is today, I also am constantly aware of eternity. All I have is today. So that fear doesn't run wild. Anxiety, stress about the future, or trying to take things into my own hands. But also keeping eternity in mind, realizing that if today is what I have, 
that I'm going to sow into eternity. Yeah. Yes. You go ahead. Yes. I I was um I uh, I was gonna say if is that kind of the same thing uh, as a practical way to just um, live life according to the spirit because in that sense you are living day to day but yes. also eternally because you're living by an eternal decider. Yes. That's deciding your everyday moves. Hundred percent. Think about it. if you're living according to the spirit, then you are sowing to the spirit. Exactly, which is eternal. So yes. In a very practical, simple way. Living by the Spirit is to live eternally. Yeah. Yes, 100%. Yes. Yeah, I think it's important to note that we don't have to wait for eternal life. It's something that doesn't start when we die. So yes. It starts when we believe in Jesus. Right? That's right. That's how heaven comes to earth. Amen. Amen. So the Bible also reveals that man is... Did I miss a part? Can we prepare for eternity? No. The Bible... Yes, we can. The Bible... Uh, just preparing for eternity. The Bible also reveals that man is tripartite. Say that three times fast. Or three parts. First Thessalonians 5.23, Hebrews 4.12. Uh, Josh, take First Thessalonians 5.23. Jackson, will you take Hebrews 4.12? Thessalonians 5.23 May God himself, the God of peace sanctify you through and through May your whole spirit, soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ Okay, Jack For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart Beautiful. Grace, what did you write down for spirit, soul and body? Okay. Blood and water. Um, and I said for soul, it's your eternal um, essence. Your essence? Yeah, like, like your smell. Yeah, immaterial. <laughs> <laughs> like, Keep going. And then for your spirit, I said your immaterial, sentient part of a person, the like perceiving part. Okay. That's deep. So when you say essence for soul, what do you mean? Like, what's the? How about this? What's the difference between soul and spirit? I don't really know. Like, I okay, that's fair. Question. That's fair. Anybody else? Anybody want to help out? Okay. <laughs> okay. <laughs> spirit is a disposition or influence which fills and governs the soul of anyone. Yeah. There was multiple, but that was what I felt best fitted. And then soul, I said the inner heart and self, but the Blue Letter Bible said the seed of the feelings, desires, and affections, and the body, like the physical. Okay. Good. I wrote for spirit, I wrote the eternal part of us. Our soul, I wrote our thoughts, attitudes, and motivations. Okay. And then body, I wrote our actual flesh. 
So, yeah. Blood what? The three Bs. Bones, yes. Yes. Okay, cool. At physical death, two facts are clear. After death, there is a complete and permanent separation between the departed spirits of the righteous and the wicked. And number two, way down upon death, the righteous immediately go to the presence of God. So write out the main idea of each. We're going to fly a little bit. Marsha, will you take Luke 23:43? Matt, will you take Luke 23:46? Anthony, will you take 2 Corinthians 5, 6, and 8? Hans, will you take Philippians 1, 21 through 24, please? And begin when you're ready with Luke. Jesus answered him, I tell you the truth, today you will be with me in paradise. Okay, what's the main point of that? Well, Jesus died, the thief died, and both were taken to the presence of God. Okay, mm. all right. Let's move forward. Luke 23, 46. And Jesus, calling out with a loud voice, said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And having said this, he breathed his last. What's the main point? That Jesus' spirit was going to dwell with the Father. Yes, yes. Uh, hey, by the way, um, where that comes from, if you want to write this down, Psalm 31, 5. Remember, every time that Jesus said a phrase or referenced a passage, he was like the best commentator I mean, like, when he says something, you can go back and read it because he was the living, breathing, walking word, right? So Psalm 31 is where that comes from, Psalm 31.5. And also Ecclesiastes 12.7 is good, too, for that. Uh, 2 Corinthians. Chapter 5, verses 6 and 8. So we are always of good courage. We know that while we are at home in the bodies, we are away from the Lord. For we walk by faith, not by sight. Yes, we are of good courage. And we would rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord. Uh, so basically, as long as we are alive here on earth, we are in a sense separated from God. Mm. But when we are with the Lord, we are no longer here in the physical body. Amen. And we should endeavor to be with the Lord. Yes, 100%. Um, Philippians. For to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. If I am to go on living in the body, this will mean fruitful labors for me. Yet what shall I choose? I do not know. I am torn between the two. I desire to depart and be with Christ, which is better by far, but it is more necessary for you that I remain in the body. Dang, that was good passion. What did you write down? Uh, to be, uh, to live is to do God's will and to die is to be with God. Amen. Which one's better? Be with God. Um, he says it. Yeah. To die to be yeah. with God. Be with God. Be with God. Be with God is always better. Yeah. I got him. I stumped him. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> to be with the Lord is better. But he still stayed, so which is interesting. The resurrected body will be similar to the one we had physically here on earth. There you go. It's written. It worked for Slumdog Millionaire. Look up and write. You know, pop culture, does. it's just like this here. I got to stop. I'm not going to use pop culture references anymore. 
I have such a low response rate, (laughs) (laughs) which is good in this church. If everybody was getting every single reference, I'd be like, okay. No more pop culture in here. We're not doing it. What? (laughs) People online are laughing. People online are laughing. Yeah, right. (laughs) As they scroll through. Look up and write down the main point in the following. Let's break these up too. Let's go. Okay, sweet. So we got we read the verse. We're gonna read what you guys wrote down. What's that? We You hear this, Deacon Paul? Would you please school the class? Before is talking about what it states about the resurrection or like basically doctrine, right? Whereas now it's saying what's the main idea? Like what thought does it bring you to? What concluding thought does it bring you to? Yes, so we're reading through these verses now with a different like focus. Yeah. What is doctrine if it's not the understanding of the verses that you're reading? Doctrine? Yeah, what is it? What is this? Is it like is it not just the understanding of what So if you just say let's 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 make it simpler for me cuz my mind's trying to catch up. So the doctrine mm-hmm. like if you're just saying what is doctrine? Yeah. Sure. Doctrine would be the holding to what has been passed down to us the correct interpretation of the scripture. So, so doctrine doctrine would be our correct understanding of the scripture and how to apply it to our lives. That's that would be doctrine. Is that not no. an interpretation of the scripture? Okay, so now, do you, do you, does that make sense what I just defined it as? Not really. Like how you understand the scripture and apply it to your life, okay. right? But, but holding to what has been passed down to us, right? So doctrine. It's a set of beliefs that you live by. There you go. That's good. Set of beliefs that you live by according to. It's not just a correct, set of beliefs. So there can't be a lot of them if there's a correct one. Well, there's other ones. Yeah, doctrine. Yeah, there can be doctrines that are wrong. Yeah, wrong. False doctrine. Right. Yeah, like, like if you baptize a baby, they're definitely going to heaven. That's a wrong doctrine. Wrong. Yeah. Yeah. Now, they'll have scriptures for that, right? One or two, and they'll base their doctrine off that scripture, right? So that's their belief according to their understanding of scripture, but they are wrong. Does that make sense? So when Paul tells Timothy, watch your doctrine closely, right? Hold to sound doctrine. He's actually, the greater context of that is he's referring, (coughs) Timothy, hey, follow what I taught you. The correct understanding of Scripture, which he's referring to the Tanakh in the Old Testament. I will abandon that pursuit for right now. I'm not doing a good job of explaining it. But that would be my explanation for doctrine. Someone had something? No one? Anyone? Anyone? Okay. Man, the crowd is getting hostile. Okay, so we read all the verses. Anyone have anything good that they want to add from those? Those scriptures that we already read? Anyone? <laughs> I'm still like. Here's what I'm gonna do. I'm gonna read you guys what I wrote. There we go. Okay. Yeah. Answer. For Luke 24, 39 through 40. 
said Jesus showed them he was no ghost. I ain't no ghost. <laughs> and directed them. That was another pop quote. Yeah. I can't help it. Going. Let's keep it going. So Jesus showed them he was no ghost and directed them to identifying scars he received in this life. John 20, 27, Jesus shows his scars. Luke 21, hair on our heads will be preserved even though our bodies die. So these are all about how our physical bodies are preserved. My eyes will see God in my flesh uh, and my flesh after my skin is destroyed. Okay? And Josh gave a great uh, supplement to that. Romans 8, my mortal body will be raised by His Spirit. So those are several points all relating to my mortal body, my flesh, my eyes, my hair, my mortal body. What's that? Mine. No, my mortal body. Mine. Romans eight eleven. Yeah. Romans eight eleven. Yeah. Job is Job says like yeah. my body. So the process of resurrection. I'm guessing y'all didn't do these ones either. The process of resurrection applies to both the righteous and the damned. Look up the following verses and give the main point. Anybody have anything good on that? John five. Yes, Alan. It stuck out to me that all were going to hear his voice. Okay. Okay. Did you have something, Katie? Oh, I was just going to say, those who know his voice will live. Those who did what was evil will be condemned. Okay. Daniel 12, 1 and 2. I had a question about that. You had a question about that one? Yeah. Okay. So, when it says, and there shall be a great time of trouble, such has never been, it's, is it referring to the time of, it is referring to the time of Revelation? Remember, Jesus reiterates this, the time of distress, yeah. such as has never been nor ever will be. That can only be one time of distress. Up until, um, I guess if you look at collective killings and you look at Stalin and you look at Pol Pot and you look at uh, the Holocaust, we're talking millions upon millions of people dying. So that far surpassed anything that had happened in the Bible. Uh, there are more people on earth now. Uh, and so uh, a great distress is still to happen that will be even worse than anything Stalin did, any, anything that happened in the Holocaust. The time of distress that's coming will be worse than that. So, and then it says, but at that time your people shall be delivered. I could see that somebody would misconstrue that and say that no one has to suffer. So how would you answer them without a this context where it's saying, and your people shall be delivered. Uh, so what we know is that the, the people will not pass away. So was Israel delivered through, or the Israelites delivered through the Holocaust? Yes. Did people die? Yes. Yes. So the people as a whole were preserved, although many died. Does that make sense? In both of these passages and in others, the Bible teaches that God will give people the type of body they need to go throughout eternity. In heaven, we will need a glorified body. In 1 Corinthians 15, 35 through 44, uh, I wrote, sow the seed of what will be. In hell, people will be fitted with a body to endure hell. 
That's Romans 9, 22 and 23. Objects of wrath and objects of mercy. I thought that was really good. Uh, actually, let's just read that and then, and then I'll just... Uh, you guys should know. Consider what our attitude should be at the very end with Paul. We should look for what I can do in this life for a better resurrection. Paul describes his goal. He says he can accomplish it by any means. Uh, or he will accomplish it by any means, that attitude towards resurrection. Whatever has to be done. All of us should get to a place where it's like, if I were to be tortured, still I would, I would not uh, deny Christ. All of us should be at that place. And then we should seek to be at a place where even if they were to take the ones I love the most and torture them trying to get me to deny Christ, still I would not deny Christ. So I'd say the place that you should be at, the place that you should get to, would be where you say, for myself, I would not deny Christ no matter what they did to me. Right? And then you should seek to get to the place where, even if they hurt those I love the most, still I would not deny Christ. We have to be talking about these things. We can't be too America to talk about these things. Right? So anyways... Any means necessary. He has, been, uh, he has been captivated. How should we live? Single focus. A better resurrection. That's what I'm thinking about all the time. I want a better resurrection. When I think about how I treat my property, the people that come on, animals, everything in here, this building, you guys, everything, I'm thinking I want to be faithful with you guys and everything I've been entrusted with for a better resurrection. That's constantly on my mind. I want to be faithful with what I've been entrusted with so I can be entrusted with more. I don't just want to hear, well done, good and faithful servant. I want to hear, you have been entrusted with little, now you will be entrusted with much. That's what I want to hear. Okay? I want to know that I could be trusted with more for eternity. Because I don't know what that's going to be, what's going to be happening, but I know that that's what this is all about. So I want to live for that. So how do we live with the eternity and resurrection in mind? We answered this question earlier. I put, by recognizing that our deeds done here in this life are what determine our eternal state. Okay, once we've accepted the sacrifice of Jesus, it now becomes living by faith, and we live for a better resurrection. Okay? And we don't get it by force. We get it by submission to the Lord. Can we prepare for eternity? Yes, but sowing to the Spirit now... This is by, by sowing to the Spirit now and through living by faith. So let me read Romans 9 real quick and then we'll go. Remember this as we are out there. Romans 9, 22 and 23. What if God, choosing to show His wrath and make His power known, bore with great patience the objects of His wrath prepared for destruction? What if he did this to make the riches of his glory known to the objects of his mercy, whom he prepared in advance for glory? So we see in the greater context of the passage, we see there's talk of Israel and the Gentiles, Jews and Gentiles, right? Praise God that he bore with the Gentiles long enough that some of us might be able to escape our destiny and be included in the covenants of Israel. Praise God that he bore with us. That's the attitude of God. To bear with the objects of his wrath so that those who are prepared for glory or who will accept, receive, taste in his glory could come 
to that place of knowing Him. So if you think, what am I, an object of wrath, an object of glory? Well, that's up to you to choose. You have free will. If you've been defiant, don't defy Him any longer. If you've been defying His Holy Spirit, don't defy Him any longer. Don't blaspheme the Holy Spirit and continue on in defiant ways because you will prove yourself to be an object of wrath and you will receive a body ready to endure hell for eternity. Instead, submit your will to Him. Do not reject or resist His authority. Even if this world tells you that authority is a bad word, it's not. Especially His authority, since He made you and holds the universe in His hands. Submit to Him, because it's all about eternity. And what we're doing now is what helps form our eternity. Amen? Amen. Paul, would you pray for us?